Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We were listening to the monthly game special with Maze Wallen. Hey, Maze, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, Dan. I'm um, not super happy about being stuck at home, but it's the right thing to do. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good time to play lots of games. Yes, for sure. And that's what I've been doing. And we've got Ro Murray on the panel. How are you doing, Ro? Oh, pretty good, Dan. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. You've been playing many games recently? I have been thrashing the pants out of my Switch with my good old standard <laughs> Animal Crossing because I'm the most unsophisticated gamer in the world. Uh, there's nothing wrong with a bit of Animal Crossing. <laughs> uh, and I'm Dan Morganti. Um so on the show, we're taking an in-depth look at the, at the Free Play Festival and talking to Gemma Mahadeho uh, about digital poetry and their session at the festival. Um, plus, we're all going to review The Binding of Isaac Repentance, which is possibly my favourite game of all time. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh. It's a big call. Big, a big call. call. Yep. Yeah. Big call. Yeah, but uh, first we've got some news. So uh, what's happening in the world of video games, right? Well, obviously Netflix has become an absolute raging juggernaut while we've been slogging our way through COVID over the last 18 months and um, they're really starting to pick up the game. They're currently eyeballing a video game expansion, according to a new report. They're currently advertising for senior executive positions in the new business division. So basically they're looking at doing like a bundle of games available via subscription, sort of like Apple Arcade. Um, obviously they've experimented a little bit more um with interactive video experiences in the past, like it did the Black Mirror Bandersnatch Choose Your Own Adventure, which was really, really cool. Um, and they've also done a similar interactive experience last year for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, we don't have a timeline on this, so stay tuned to see if it you know, hits your streaming wave soon. I'm interested yeah. to see what they come up with. Uh, mm. I, I didn't even... Uh, Play? Would you say play or watch? Watch Bandersnatch? <laughs> did, did you guys... Uh, I did. Uh, you did? How was it? I actually liked it. Um, there were some user things that I thought were a little bit slow, but also that's because I'm a little bit ADD, you know, punch the button harder. Come on, hurry up, hurry up. So when you had the choices, I was like, oh, come on. But it was, <laughs> for the most part, I think it was cleverly designed and it was similar to a lot of games in that um, the the first couple of choices were super simple and you only had one or two options just so that you got your flow on and then after that you could just cut sick and do whatever. And I did actually end up going through as many of the choices as I possibly, possibly could to see what they filmed. And I was just in awe from a production standpoint at how much it oh my goodness it was basically one episode that they probably filmed a full six or eight yeah, right. episode so series th- worth of material so you think we're in good hands for this next it could of, be yeah yeah yeah. yeah I think it's exciting you know that there's more money being poured into especially like these narrative experiences mm. um I feel like a lot of the industry is is really craving more support for these kinds of what would otherwise be quite premium games. Um, so I, I hope that it's more narrative experiences and not necessarily the direction of Apple Arcade where they've um, 
where they've started to support more kind of hyper-casual, repetitive gameplay games. Um, but, yeah, you know, if it is a money grab, then I think the narrative games might be a bit sacrificed. So we'll see. We'll see if this, um, you know, trend continues with them. So, yeah, pros and cons, I think. Um, but I am excited also just for the more opportunity for more developers. Yeah, for sure. Mm, definitely. And uh, what else has been happening in the world of video games, Maze? I know you're a little bit excited about uh, yeah. Unreal Engine. <laughs> so um, the new Unreal Engine 5 has come into early access. Um, so this is Epic's engine, so Epic who make Fortnite um, and a whole heap of other games. So currently the standard is Unreal Engine 4 and 5 is now in early access. Um there's a whole heap of new things. Most um, of the press and things has been around this new feature, Nanite, which kind of allows this sort of infinite amount of triangles to be rendered in real time um, and, uh, you know, augmented in, in such a cool way. I think a lot of indies are really especially excited because, you know, this is the kind of a huge shift in how accessible really, really, really high-definition graphics are. Um, they're managing to get this high definition to render on um, pretty normal computers, you know, and also also VR. They have a new VR template with this um, Nanite. And then also Lumen is their new lighting rig, which, um, again, just has just some cool automatic lighting. But very cool. We all know what I am most excited for, and the, the that music. is the new audio things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they have totally remade how you make audio in the engine. So we're moving from sound cues, which was already a kind of node-based editor for audio behavior. So that meant like you could drag um, your four footstep wave files. Um, onto a node for random and then every time it was triggered you could get a random footstep so we already had that but now what we have is kind of like a shader color editor for audio so not only is it um uh, are we talking about audio behavior and game, like when and how we trigger audio? We're also talking about just like actual synthesis and editing of sounds in real time in a really, really flexible way. Ooh. So, yeah, it's super cool. And um, the one of the companies I work for, Wolfire, we've already started jamming um, to try and get our head around this kind of thing. And it's a big learning curve for any audio people. I think that the new meta sounds is what it's called is is it's really really expansive and at the moment you still need a bit more of a programmer brain than you do with the what is now legacy um, sound cues so I hope that they'll receive a lot of feedback around that and try and get some entry level more simplified nodes basically in so that we can still do things simply and quickly um but all of the extra customizability that comes with this more complicated view um is is really interesting and really fun and i had a lot of fun making a laser sound today (laughs) (laughs) um 
and also refiguring out how to make footsteps. <laughs> cool. oh, I love it. Is do you know much about the business side of it? Because uh, I'm fairly certain that Unreal Engine Four, you didn't have to buy it, but if you made a product using it, then you started paying from profits or uh, not uh, not being a game developer myself, I don't know exactly how it works, but is that how Unreal Engine is going to uh, going to work? Do you know? Yeah, so um, there hasn't been anything about whether that will change with Unreal Engine 5. Um, so at the moment, that means uh, I think what Epic has, you can, listeners can Google this, but what the license is for Unreal, and this is also the same with Unity, and then a lot of audio tools like Wise and FMOD, is you don't pay for the tool until you make a certain amount of profit. Or um, they might charge you based off of your production budget, whichever is higher, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Unreal, I, last I recall, the number was actually something like a million. Like if you made a million dollars in profit, then you had to start paying them. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> That's heckin' um, yeah. But, but do... Um, look that up because it might have gone back down. Yeah. But a lot of indies are really kind of we're rolling in the in the Fortnite money along with Epic. You know, yeah. like they're really channeling a lot of that Fortnite money into tools that the rest of us are getting for free. Um, so they're generating a lot of goodwill among developers, and that. That definitely helps them with their lawsuit against Apple. Um, <laughs> is this like sort of goodwill among developers? Yeah. But um, it is it is pretty fun and nice for us all to have these pretty cool tools. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great to see some of these bigger companies actually making some decisions that benefit the entire industry and not just their wallet. So, mm. um, yeah. Well, yeah, it's still you know benefiting the industry does benefit their wallet. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're not doing it uh, ex- exclusively out of the kindness of their heart, but it, yeah, they're not doing it to spite people either. Yeah, it's a good byproduct yeah. of um, their greed. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and Dan, I think you had a bit of news to bring to us. Uh, yeah, for museum and video game fans, uh, N- Nintendo has announced that the Uji Ogura plant will be turned into a public gallery to showcase the many products Nintendo has launched over its history. So the factory is located in the Ogura district of Uji, a city just outside Kyoto, was built in 1969 and was mainly used for manufacturing playing cards and Hanafuda cards, um, which for a little bit of trivia, that's how Nintendo got their start. I think they started, if I'm getting the dates right, which I doubt I am because I'm terrible with dates, but it was in 1893, I think Nintendo started, and they started as a playing card company, so um, a really old company, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that they're opening up a plant for um, museum purposes, because I'm a big fan of museums and video games, and I've got my own little museum of video games as well. I'm sure it doesn't quite compare to Nintendo's own, but... Um, it should be great. So Nintendo has been discussing the possibility of building this gallery as a way to as a way to share Nintendo's product development history and philosophy with the public. The company says in a statement, to this end, the Nintendo Uji Ogura plant will be renovated to accommodate the gallery, a decision reached after taking consideration of the city of Uji's plan of redeveloping the nearby Ogura station area. 
So Nintendo is having a hand in also another uh, happy byproduct in helping the local their local community with that uh, Nintendo museum, which is um, brilliant. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be getting to Japan anytime soon, but I would be very keen to go see that. You got uh, any old systems at home that you think belong in a museum, guys? Yes, crap loads. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a monster. I get rid of something as soon as it's not 100%. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, different strokes. Oh, I do have um, a first-gen massive iPod that still works perfectly. Oh, I can't nice. update it or change anything with it. It's one of the big old wheel ones. It's the size of a brick, but I love it. Yeah, right. Still exists. Yeah, still got all your <laughs> hits from 15 years ago. Literally, yeah. 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 It's an absolute time capsule on wheels, that thing. Brilliant. Well... <laughs> This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how. Triple R. Um, Dan, tell us about The Binding of Isaac Repentance because you've said that it might be your favourite game of all time and I don't know if I can accept that. Yeah, okay. Uh, I may do a bit of revision. That was a big call. It's, it's definitely one of <laughs> one of my most favourite games of all time because there's still stuff like Fallout and Darkest Dungeon and uh, Dead Cells and stuff out there. So it, enough about that. Uh, this is uh, The Binding of Isaac Repentance. So this is uh, the reason why I'm doing this is because it's recently had a expansion or a DLC, downloadable content, if you're uh, in the mood for that. But um, yeah, this is possibly the last expansion for the game. Um, and the first game was re- originally released in 2011 by Edmund McMillan, who you may know from uh, documentaries and his game Super Meat Boy. Um, and he made it with a guy named Florian Himsel after a one-week game jam that asked for Legend of Zelda-inspired titles. Uh, and that allowed McMillan to deal with a lot of heavy issues that he had from his Catholic upbringing. Um, the game can actually be quite dark. In 2014, The Binding of Isaac Rebirth was uh, remade and released to get around the limitations of the of Flash, which was originally the engine that it used. Mm. But um, uh, if you're unfamiliar, Flash is not a very versatile uh, video game programming no, it um, is not. Program, yeah. So, <laughs> um, the, the Binding of Isaac is a bullet hell roguelike that is inspired by the biblical story of God telling Abraham to sacrifice his son to prove his faith. The story starts with Isaac's mother hearing the voice of God telling her that Isaac must be sacrificed and Isaac sees her from the keyhole in his locked bedroom uh, that his mum has gone to get a kitchen knife to kill him. So, pretty dark start. The only Jeez. escape... The only escape is a trap door that leads to the basement below that is filled with monsters, and that's where the game begins. So as far as uh, startings of video games go, stories go, it's pretty intense and off, uh, insane right off the bat. The religious themes are obviously quite heavy, the Binding of Isaac obviously being the reference to the Abrahamic biblical story um there's a lot of other references to uh religion and there's there's a lot of heavy themes in this game um there's uh some suicide uh infanticide regicide there's a death of a king uh scene there's um abuse neglect there's a lot of a lot of themes a lot of um like the this uh expansion deals uh with U.S. evangelical television as well, because um, oh, interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a boss in the game that's act- basically like 
TV static from a evangelical oh, Christian programming. I love it. Uh, yeah, so it's very heavy themes on uh, these kinds of issues. Um, but uh, this is where the game really shines, the gameplay, because uh, other than that uh, first uh, cutscene and then every uh, ending to the game, um, the story's pretty light on. It's all implied story and, like, implied through gameplay and mechanics and art. So... Um, so, so for those of you who may not know, a roguelike uh, starts the game from the same place every time. So when you die, you can't get back any of your progress or items uh, from that game and the game starts again. You, have, you play another round. Uh, the, game is, uh, the gameplay is Isaac going from room to room using his tears to kill enemies. So he shoots tears. Um, so he's, he's crying the entire time. Um, oh my God. The enemies start off as spiders, flies, and maggots, but soon turn into more dangerous and satanic enemies as the game progresses. Uh, to beat the game, you must make it to the final floor of the basement where the final f- confrontation is with Isaac's mother. Um, of course, that's not the true ending to the game, and under- there are something like 23 uh, possible endings. Um, some include being transported to, to hell to fight Satan and uh, the, the lamb. Um, the game shines... For its replayability. So as you progress through the stages using keys, bombs, and your skills, you pick up items from different locations and they permanently modify Isaac's abilities and appearance. Uh, for example, the pentagram item gives uh, small demon horns and an increase to Isaac's damage, or the fate item gives Isaac angel wings and the ability to fly. Um, some items and abilities are better than others and the fun of the game is putting together these fun synergies and trying to get through. Uh, sometimes it's just impossible. Uh, you get a really bad run and really bad luck, get a, really, a bunch of really bad items. Uh, the random chance just doesn't go your way and you become more and more underpowered as the levels go, go on. But there's nothing quite like slogging away at a run only to get a powerful item and start blasting away the enemies. Uh, so basically, gameplay and replayability are king in this game. What keeps me coming back is that there are a lot of unlocks in the game as well. There are 17 characters to choose from, 14 different endings, uh, and every ending by every character unlocks a new item as well as unlocking other items through the 40 challenges run and other miscellaneous tasks. Uh, there's a lot to do in this game. Um, it sounds enormous. And yeah. then like the list of trigger warnings that you listed off at the start, mm. like part of me, you know, whenever a game deals with these kinds of things I worry about like is it going to be really superficial or is that or is it like very tongue-in-cheek like how does it deal with those like um (laughs) you know part of me is like this just sounds horrifying and awful but like well there's it's a lot of not it's it's terrible like the 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 art style lends itself to a, it's like a kind of cutesy art style. So think like the, a nightmare before Christmas kind of vibe um, where it's like horrific, but done in a cute way, like to juxtapose the, the two opposing like cute and uh, devastating, but a lot of it's implied. So the, the start of yeah. the, the game, that opening scene where your mother um, comes to uh, kill you, that's like the most explicit that the game gets and then uh, the ending uh, cinematics as well uh, add to that a little bit, but there's no dialogue in most of the ending cinematics, so it's just all implied. So the items you pick up uh, kind of tell the story of what's happening. So a lot of it's like you got a spider bite, that's one of the items, and that like allows you to spawn spiders 
from hitting enemies and um but there's a few uh a few items like brother bobby and sister maggie who are small ghost-like apparitions um who uh the i've read like uh, reddit threads and like people who like fan theories and stuff that they say that these are um, miscarriage babies from your mother and like yeah there's a lot there's (laughs) a lot of heavy stuff going on Um, of course it never explicitly says that it just could just be a brother or sister but um, the the way the item is uh, animated um, these small ghostly children uh, like have crossed eyes and uh, it lends itself to this kind of um, theory yeah. Um, one, of, one of the things I found really interesting about that art style as well is I'm probably showing my age a little bit here, but um, MySpace, when it was at its absolute zenith, there was a really, really mm. big um, emo cartoon theme yes. going and it feels very much like that. It's absolutely to be designed to be dark, rip your heart out, all yep. of that kind of stuff, but oh, adorable totally as that. pants. Like, I, yeah. I baked you a cookie and then I ate it. That yep. was one of them. That's it, absolutely. <laughs> yep. That's the first thing I thought of when I started looking at this game. Yeah, and I think it's because Edmund McMillan uh, was coming of age around that time as well mm. and he's got a very unique art style and uh, I, uh, as much as their like, games are collaborative efforts, there's... Uh, something to be said about auteurs and I would say that he's uh, a little bit of an auteur. He's got a very specific niche and that's his art style across pretty much all his games. The End is Nigh, uh, Super Meat Boy. They all have this um, really over-the-top crass uh, subject matter um, with this, yeah, like cute art style. Um, So do you think, Dan, would you, if you didn't really know many biblical anything Mm. and and if you didn't like go on to Reddit and stuff, would you get much of the game? Um, I think considering this game is so heavy on the gameplay and the synergies between items and the replayability, you mm. don't need to understand the story. I'm just I'm so invested in this game that I'm I've gone above and beyond to research this kind of stuff and like, oh that's that's interesting. I wonder where that comes from. Like uh so I'll look up the like where an item came from or like what's the idea behind a particular item. So you don't need to understand any of that or even like look for it. Uh, it's just that I've been playing it for so long that I, I start to see like connections that are being made in other areas of the world. Like you can get the anarchist cookbook and um, oh, cool. yeah, like that. that's one of the items. And um, there's also like space bar items and passive items. So one uh, permanent upgrades and one uh, items that you can use. Like there's a, um, uh, vortex that sucks everything in and there's void runes which can uh, permanently upgrade your stats but are one-time use items and um, yeah I don't think you need to have any deeper understanding of biblical stories or anything to really enjoy the game it's just um, and I, I think that's a testament to the designing uh, the design of the game um, and the creators for their ability to get all this stuff in kind of under the radar unless you know the reference you're not going to get it and that but that doesn't affect the gameplay so yeah, yeah I kind anyone of dig can enjoy that it. you know you could go deeper and deeper like you know someone could have pitched this to me in a you know here's all these weapons and synergies and it's a roguelike and I would have been like yep I'm in you know I I know that I like that I love those things mm. um and you know it would have been a whole different entry to me into the game um 
And I think that's really cool that the community and audience around this game has a lot of different interests, um, yeah, and different things that they hook on to, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, it, like uh, I would recommend this game to anyone who's looking for uh, like a little bit of fun and also it gets incredibly difficult. Like uh, there's unlocks in the game, so... Uh, something like 716 or something, I think I said, 714. So there are 714 things to unlock. Some of them are brutally difficult. Like there's uh, a one-hit character in there where you can't... You have to beat the entire game without taking a single hit, um, which is impossible. How? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't managed to do it yet. And, uh, I've, although this is for the expansion, so I have done it with... Uh, Similar characters, so I, I think I'll get there, Ooh. but it will take time. Uh, anyone want to take a guess at how many hours I've put into this game so far? When did it come out? Uh, so I've been playing it since about 2014. <laughs> um, 700 hours. Ooh, not bad. Where, what are you, Am I close? Yeah, pretty close. <laughs> Closer than I thought you would have got. Oh. <laughs> 800. Uh, more, 900 hours. Holy pants. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I did the maths on that. If I played nonstop for 24 hours a day, that would be 37 days straight. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd be reading about you on Reddit threads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I, dude who died from... <laughs> yeah, heart attack from playing 24 hours straight. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's just an indication of how much I enjoy this game and... Um, yeah, really, really like it and would would recommend it to a lot of people. Um, I just want to say as well that, like, th- this has brought up a lot of heavy issues. If anyone uh, needs to speak to someone, the number for Lifeline is 131114. If you're um, feeling the need to talk to someone, um, you can call Lifeline on 131114. Um, yeah, but uh, I think that's all I've got to say about The Binding of Isaac. Have I brought you guys around to uh, playing 900 hours of it, perhaps? Um, no. Um, <laughs> is there an easy mode? Uh, unfortunately not. Well, I oh. guess the easy mode, you could say certain characters are the easy mode. So the um, the main character, Isaac, so you can pick from 17 different characters. Like I said, one uh-huh. there's one hit characters and, and the like. But Isaac is possibly the easiest character because he comes with an item at the start of every run called the D6. Just It's a, just a dice that re-rolls every item. So you basically get to look at twice the number of items uh, in a run. So you get to build your character uh, a lot easier, build a much more powerful character a lot easier. So there's, um, there's easier characters, which I would say constitutes the easy modes. Oh, very cool. Mm. Yeah. Love it. But yeah, that's uh, that's the review of Binding of Isaac Repentance. Now, Maze, tell us about our next guest. Yeah, I'm really excited to um, talk to Gemma Mahade. They are a poet and sometimes musician from the UK based in um, Melbourne. They've had work published both in print and online, nationally and internationally, and in 2020 made an award-winning video game with... Um, it, with designer Ian McClarty, which was um, awarded Best Experimental Game and nominated for Best Micro Game. Um, In 2020 and 2021, they've largely worked on digital commissions, which audiences can interact with, one being Invisible Illness for the city of Darabin. Um, They say they wish they had more time to write video game 
ekphrastic poetry. I think we'll learn about that. Um, currently, they're avoiding fine-tuning their first full-length poetry manuscript by occupying themselves with cats, tea and beer. They don't like people who reject them on the basis of their chronic illnesses. Gemma, welcome to the show. Um, thank you so much for having me. What an absolute pleasure. This is, um, yeah, lovely. And we also so, want to secretly welcome your cat. We've had some lovely cameos <laughs> on the on the Skype camera while we've been getting ready for this interview, and I've just absolutely loved it. <laughs> um, she is my cheerleader and unofficial support <laughs> animal, and, yeah, she's fantastic. She's very, very affectionate, and um, she has ha actually headed out because um, uh, she's free to do her own thing. But, um, yeah, before she was just being so, so snuggly and, I mean, how can how can one resist, really? How good are pets? <laughs> um, Gemma, can we just start? Uh, this is my top question. What is ekphrastic poetry? Um, so technically ekphrastic poetry refers to you look at a painting or maybe a photograph and then you write a poetic response. And I got introduced via um, another writer, Alex Bennett, who asked me to take part in a zine called Bonfire Park. Mm. And he introduced me to the concept of video game ekphrastic poetry. So I wrote a poem that was based on Alexander Perrin's um, short trip mm -hmm. and kind of wrote it in a way so that it's sort of it's actually an acrostic poem so if you if you read the poem it um in the middle all the way down it's it says short trip by Alexander Perrin and I mean it was it's it was really good that I was matched with that game because it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, cats traveling in European forestry on public transport. Oh, <laughs> heaven. It's so, so beautiful. And it just, um, because I think Alexander also loves cats. So yeah. um, it was just really, I don't know, it just seems so magical. And then I thought, well, what can I do to, you know, make this, I wanted the, um, the form of the poem to be influenced by the game. And so it is a bit, um, the line breaks are a bit more rollicking because I wanted to emulate what the tram car ride is like, because sometimes you go uphill um, and sometimes downhill because it's not it's not like in Melbourne where everything all the tram tram lines are all flat, although sometimes the tram drivers do fang it, which is just <laughs> pretty cool, but also yeah. pretty scary. We love them for it. <laughs> um, so um, other than yeah. what, other than so, what you've just described, how like how else do you see video games and poetry coming together? Um. So. The so video games and poetry for them to be fully realized as art forms, they need participants. So it's all well and good for me to write a poem, but if someone reads the poem and gets different things from the poem or picks up themes that I didn't realize that I had in there, it's mm. 
um, they can tell me about those themes and I'll, I'll go, oh, wow, yeah, actually, I do seem to focus on that theme a lot. Um, so it's very, it's actually a lot more interactive and I don't feel like a poem is fully realised unless it's got an active reader who has a completely, can have a completely different background to you and they bring their life experiences. They don't have to be liter literary. They can be, I, I don't care. Like I, I'm, I want my readers to be as, um, the, the audience to be as broad as possible. And I'm always interested in hearing what different people get from the same poem. So there's always different interpreta interpretations. Some people um, do what we call is close reading, where they take the poems very literally. Um, some people know that the the I in the poem doesn't necessarily mean the I of um, the poet, yeah. which we um, we call the subject. Mm. Um, so is that like first person or? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Person, first person, but... except it's not really referring to I as the author. It's referring to the I as the um, reader in the poem. Yeah. I guess that's interesting how it intersects with games where, you know, I is often the player or a separate kind of protagonist, you know, where the player yeah. sort of embodies that protagonist or whether it's like a character that they're also um, exploring or getting to know. Um, can you tell us about, you know, this experimental micro game from last year? Oh, gosh. Um, I, wow, I mean, the background for this. So basically, um, Writers Victoria were a few years ago running this amazing thing, um, this initiative called Women Writers of, of Colour, and it was a commission. So you had to pitch them an idea and... Um, the idea that I pitched them was I wanted to go to Bar SK, RIP, we still love you, Bar SK, and we miss yeah. you heaps, like, so much. Hell yeah, Louis and Dave. Um, and I wanted to be, um, instead of choosing games, um, so I'd said to Writers Victoria, I want to write poems that are highly influenced by the video games that I'll be playing. And um, that was, again, um, due to my involvement with um, Alex Bennett's Bonfire Park. Um, and so I, I went straight to Dave and actually, who was at the, who was working at the time, and I said, recommend me games that you think I need to play because I've done this thing with um, Writers Victoria and they've accepted my pitch and I want to write some poems about video games. Um, the first one he recommended was Catacombs of Solaris and when I first played it um, by Ian McClarty, my mind was just completely blown like in that way where you feel like a child and it's just like, wow, I had no idea that games could be made like this. Mm. And, um, 
Yeah, and then Ian and I um, eventually met in person at um, Free Play. And then we decided to work on a video game. And I said that um, it was incredible working with Ian, actually, because, I mean, he understands that I um, manage chronic illnesses. So I did warn him that I'd be pretty slow to come up with content, but that didn't mean that I wasn't um, dedicated. Like, I, I was very dedicated. And as a result, it was actually really easy to come up with content because he was very understanding about that. And um, so we kind of created this, we had this like rough idea of what we were what we were going to do. And there was this space sort of, you know, rural South African, but also rural Australian um, arid landscape with lots of tin sheds or mm. that kind of thing. And um it was also based a bit on um, some an experience I had for um, house sitting for a fellow uh, poet um, in up near Castlemaine, and um, sort of just decided to start writing poems that were largely what we call visual poetry. So they were very, um, for me, the the words were important but how they looked on the page was more important for me. That's really interesting. So does that translate to, like, where they're placed within the game world kind of deal? Yeah. Um, so, for instance, um, obviously there were limitations so that I would ask Ian if, oh, are you able to render this poem so that it can do this dot, dot, dot. So, um, mm. for instance, I think there's some there's a, a poem about rain. There's a there's I think about two or three poems about tumbleweeds, and so the tumbleweeds are actually circling through the um, the dry backyard. Oh, it sounds awesome! Wow. And um, yeah, and then also I think one of the latest poems was having some empty beer cans up on kind of like a tin fence or a small fence and um, having some oh, – in, in encouraging some kids to, you know, just like throw stones at them would <laughs> hit them. Um, but there is also a tin shed, so um, – which was um, – I, I guess it had tin roof. And for me that was really important because um, in my childhood I spent a year living in the Philippines and the – the, the sound of rain, which, you know, in the Philippines, it's either hot or it's wet. Um, you know, it's, re it's very evocative. And I wanted, I wanted to convey that sense of what it's like as well when the, the tin roof is leaking mm. and the noise of the rain, but also how the rain, you know, on really arid ground, I mean, especially because so many parts of Australia are very drought prone. Um, as soon as the droplets of rain hit the ground, they just literally disappear. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. And so there were also a lot of abandoned objects in, in the tin shed, um, which you're also able to explore. And the, 
I think the beautiful thing about the game is it's technically not ever really finished because I can keep on coming up with as many objects as I like and Ian is happy to add them or render them into the game. Um, Yeah, I don't really feel like I do that much work in terms of the... I mean, the game is very much... He does all the hard work and all I do (laughs) is really arrange letters and words. (laughs) not with themes or topics Um, yeah do you feel like you need much like technical knowledge in order to collaborate um no so I think for this the poems that I wrote I wanted them to be really emotional but I, I mean in a very sort of like that, so, for instance, when I was talking about how the ground swallows, the like really, really dry ground swallows water, I wanted the reader or the player of the game to go, oh, yeah, gosh, you know, I know exactly what that's like when, you know, when you're in the outback or when you're in the country. I didn't necessarily want the player of the game to... Um, yeah, no, no background in poetry was assumed. I, that I felt that was very important. Um, so we've got Free Play Festival coming up. Can you please tell us uh, a little bit about your session at Free Play? Um, yeah, so Aaron Lim, who kindly asked me to take part on a panel with some many other lovely people, um, we're going to be talking about poetry and as games and... I guess I've been reading A Play of Bodies by Brendan Keogh, mm-hmm. which has been mind-blowing because um, I think what I'll end up talking about is I feel like video games and poetry have very similar desires from their audience. So um, they do need active participants Mm. Um, they they want people who are open to immersion, so who want to sort of really sort of just sort of not sus- it's not suspension of disbelief, but sort of want to put aside what's going on in their lives, but also their lived experiences will influence the reading. Mm. And in a way, they will actually create a different artwork to what I've written. And where can people see this this discussion? Um, uh, so it will be um, part of um, free play. Um, mm. I can I can send a link if you like. Uh, uh, oh no, we've yeah, got yeah. Uh, freeplay.net.au, and you can also check out um, free underscore play on Twitter and on Instagram, free play fest, all all in one go. Yep. Mm. Yeah, a huge huge thank you to Gemma. Um, so free play festival is going from the ninth until the thirteenth. Is that right? Um, what day is your panel on? Um, we are on, we're next Wednesday. Wednesday. Cool. Um, well, yeah, that's so exciting. Um, and it'll all be online. I think it's going to be streamed, um, to YouTube, but there'll be links everywhere on the website. Thanks so much, Gemma. That's really, really 
exciting and, and a cool way to think about maybe I should get back into poetry if I think about it like video games a bit more. Maybe I could read poetry. <laughs> I mean, ideally, one of the things I do really enjoy doing, especially because um, my background is actually in classical music, which is an extremely elitist, exclusionary discipline. And um, it can be the same for poetry as well. Um, but I think we forget that poetry relies so much upon its reader to connect emotionally. Like that's emotional connection. It, you don't have to necessarily understand everything that the poet has put in there. But then, but so you can first you you first read it, and then you have a sense of what it's about, and then if you're compelled to do so afterwards that's I think part of the game or the ludic process mm. is going oh okay so you know what form did the person use um do they use certain adjectives are there certain themes that they repeat um, um rhythm um yeah awesome yeah um, poetry, <laughs> um music was definitely the gateway drug to me writing poetry because I mean rhythm and stresses on syllables is so important yeah um, and yeah, well, even thank oh you, sorry thanks thanks so much Gemma um we've got a jet off we've got another song to play so um friends you need by River Boy is coming up now uh thanks again uh Gemma for your uh, your chat on poetry and video games thank you so much for having me Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.